Well, good morning, everybody. So glad that you are joining us right here at the broadcast location. Everybody that has joined us in our online campus, not only here, but in the timber country of East Texas and even nationally and internationally. We have people joining us from Nicaragua. We have people joining us overseas. So glad that you guys are with us. All of our guys at the Duncan Unit and the Dybal Correctional Center, Nacogdoches Campus. Come on, church family. One church, multiple locations. Let's welcome each other to church today. Glad you guys have joined us. Yeah, we are in the throes of a brand new series called New Normal. I want to be honest with you. I struggled with these words uh, for several weeks way back in March. Do you guys remember like so, so, so long ago, like six months ago when things felt a little more normal than they do now? And I know that over the last few months, I I know that I have heard this, I have probably said this a time or 12, and and it's this statement. And maybe you can finish it with me. Uh, I can't wait till things get back to... Exactly, normal. I can't wait for things to go back to normal. In fact, some of you might be thinking right now at the broadcast location, speaking of normal... Pastor Jeremy's on a video screen. Well, I want you to know that may not be normal to you, but to the rest of our campuses, that is very normal. And if you don't know and you're joining us and you're saying, man, I tried this new church and the pastor's on video, what's going on right now? I want you to know that that's part of our strategy to reach as many people as possible. We are one church in multiple locations, as I just mentioned. And I want, I want to challenge you that, that if you're new to it and you're saying, ooh, I don't know if I, if I get this. Nacogdoches, you are on video every week. Duncan, Dybal online campus. And so for the broadcast location, maybe that's a little unique for you right now. This isn't actually very normal to you. I just want to kind of ease you a little bit and kind of situate it. First of all, 90% of people that watch in the broadcast location look at the screen anyway, okay? So you're already looking at the screen anyway, even when I'm here. You, you, you'd be shocked when I'm preaching and I'm looking. Everybody's like looking over here. It's crazy. But I can also say this. Even though I'm on video today, I want you to know that uh, the same way that you can listen to a song on the, the seventh time uh, uh, in your car that was pre-recorded years ago and still hits you in the feels, uh, the same way that some of you uh, get on your knees and you pray in your living room watching a video hoping that your team will score that last second touchdown or just pray that your team will actually be on TV this year. Like, like you just, whatever it is, God can use technology and this kind of platform to speak. So I just invite you to open, open your mind, be willing to hear. Jesus is the same and he wants to speak to you right, right where you are. I can't wait for things to get back to normal. I know we said that with school and now school's back in session and it starts to feel a little more normal, but there are so many new things that we're having to adapt and adopt. And I want to talk to you about this idea of new normal today that may be um, hard for us. We want to stiff arm the idea of something new. We hate change. Um, that's just natural no matter what. We, we, just, we don't like change. We're creatures of habit. Uh, recently, I walked into Walmart and I started having a panic attack because I couldn't find the peanut butter. 
And they changed everything up. Changed, I don't like this. And then on the other side, as a pastor, I'm communicating change. I'm casting vision for change. And people are like, I don't know if I like that change. And then I go into Walmart and I'm like, I don't know if I like that. I can't find the peanut butter and whatnot. Like, like everybody struggles with change. But I want you to know, change doesn't equal improvement, but improvement always equals some sort of change. And in the season we're in, God wants to improve our lives not just change our lives, not just give us something new, but something new that is fresh and improved. Um, we just have to be able to see it and trust God that that's what he's bringing. And so when we deal with normal and normal is now taken away and we can't even control it and we get out of control where we are creatures that are addicted to control and we have a new normal coming, there is this space in between. I call it the mayhem in the middle. I call it this, this space between what has been and what's going to be. And really, it can feel, even though it's mayhem in the middle, it's really the abnormal. It's, it's not quite right. It's, it's, it's twisted. It, it changes things. We, we run into a circumstance. There's a sickness. There's a wound in a relationship. There's a loss of a job. And normal into new normal has to face this abnormal reality. All throughout scripture, we see normal into new normal, but people happen to navigate the abnormal. That's what this COVID-19 has been. It's been abnormal. And we've been having to navigate, okay, what does this look like when we begin to step into the new normal? Uh, starts in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. They had a normal and a new normal and the mayhem in the middle. Their normal was a perfect life. God showed us his very clear plan of his relationship with us. Although we're creation, he is not interested in just being a creator who knows the creation and the creation knows the creator. He was interested in having relationship with us. And it's this paradise, this perfect place. But Adam and Eve go from the normal, perfect paradise and they have to figure out how to live in the new normal, which is a broken world. A broken world with pain and suffering, a broken world with thorns and thistles, not just the lush garden of perfection. And what was the abnormal that took place? It was that Adam and Eve rejected God's vision for their life. God's vision was, trust me with everything. Leave, leave the godness to me and you just trust in my hand. But the enemy comes in and says, oh, come on, you really want to live like that? Did God really say, I mean, you could be as wise as God. And so we reject God's vision for being God. And we want to be like God. And that abnormal reality takes us into a new normal of a broken world. The good news is, though, ever since the beginning of creation, in fact, the Bible says in Revelation, before the foundations of the earth were formed, a lamb of God would be slain. So even though we're in the middle of this new normal of a broken world, God has a plan to bring it all back. He's already put in plan A with Jesus and he's got a plan and he's still working that plan and he's gonna bring everything back into perfection. One step at a time, we're just in this process together. You know, you move from Adam and Eve and you go to the Israelites. The next part of God's plan was now to show his plan through a nation. And the Israelites would grow up through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name is later changed to Israel. Israel has 12 sons. Those 12 sons form the tribes 
uh, the clans of Israel, and that becomes a nation. And God is going to show us how to, how to begin to approach him. And the nation of Israel has got these rules and regulations on how to approach God. And God is going to show us that, hey, even though all those rules and regulations, I've got to plan to bring you back. But the Israelites are going to have to deal with some abnormal things. As a matter of fact, the Israelites, they had some normal and abnormal and new normal. And the Israelites for 400 years, four centuries, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. They were under the whip. They were under the metal hand of Pharaoh. They were forced to eke out an existence, mass Genocide and infanticide was placed upon the Israelites to try and wipe them out because they were growing and growing and growing because God had a promise to bring it all back and it was going to happen through the Israelite people, through the Jewish people. Jesus, the Messiah, was going to come. And the slaves were being pushed down and they were eking out at existence, making bricks for the pyramids. But there was a new normal coming. God had a promise that he had given to Abraham that he was going to give them a land Give them a promised land. And the way that God works this out is that he sends a deliverer, Moses, into Egypt through these unbelievable miracles. Pharaoh's heart is softened. The Israelites are exodused out of Egypt. And for about 24 months, about two years, they are making their way from Egypt over the Red Sea with a cloud by day and a fire by night leading them. God showing up in the middle of the desert to help them and guide them and protect them. And they come up to this new normal, the boundaries, the borderline from where they are in the desert to this promised land. And that's where I want to set up camp today. We're going to explore the borders of this new normal for the Israelites that out of Egypt, out of slavery, being free, but having no place to really call home. They're more vagabonds and wanderers, and God has promised them something. How are they going to deal with the potential of a new normal? But we go to Numbers chapter 13, and this story begins to unfold. Two years into the desert, here they are about ready to go into the promised land. And so the Lord said to Moses, okay, before you get started, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, that's the promised land, which I am giving to the Israelites. I'm giving it, like I am an active, I'm an active God. This is my plan, I am giving to the Israelites. I'm not thinking about it, I'm not waiting on it, I'm not considering it, I am gonna give this to the Israelites. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran, And all of them were leaders. I want you just to kind of catalog that in your mind. He didn't send, you know, well, who am I going to send out there? Just, I don't know, just just send, you know, whoever. Send the bench warmers. No, he sends leaders. In fact, they send 12 scouts or spies, uh, one leader from each tribe. So this isn't the last picked. This isn't the runts of the litter. This is the leaders within the 12 tribes of Israel. And so they... They leave, they say goodbye, everybody's cheering them on. They're going to go scout it out, going to go check out the land, survey the countryside. So then the spies came to the valley of Eshkol. And as they're scouting this out, what's crazy is the fruit that they see. They've been living in the desert, not a lot of fruit. The fruit was so abundant that they cut off a grape branch, which had a giant cluster of grapes on it. Giant, huge, massive. It was so massive 
It was so large and heavy that it took two men to carry it back on a pole between them. Could you imagine coming out of Brookshire Brothers with a cluster of grapes like that? That seems a little far-fetched. That seems a little, you know, Cinderella pumpkin carriage kind of fairy tale. That, that seems a little bit like this, which isn't real. It'd be nice if it were real. This is actual footage of the Israelites coming back to camp. No, no, that's fake. That's Photoshop. But this is real. Those are actual, not just Israel, that's Israel. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> puns. Those are grapes that, were, that have recently been grown in Jerusalem. And so even the capacity of the irrigation and that, that, that climate, it's still producing incredible fruit. And so they put on a pole and they began to walk back. Oh, yeah. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community. And it just wasn't their word. They didn't just take their word for it. They had the proof in the grapes. They went to the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. The whole community. So like everybody gathered around as they came back in and because everybody wanted to know, when are we going? When are we going to go take what God has promised us? And they gave Moses this account. Okay, Moses and everybody, they're, they're, everybody's listening. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does, it does flow with milk and Honey. Now it doesn't like really flow with milk and honey. You know, it's not like cows are just walking around <laughs> milk flowing out. Like, no, it, it means there's like, there's produce and there's opportunity. That, that's what it represented. It represented agriculture and trade and great opportunity. It does flow. Here's the fruit. Like here's the fruit that everybody's like, whoa. And I can imagine the music like swelling with the cymbals and some of those scouts are pe peeling off peeling off grapes and they're like throwing them in into the mouths of the Israelites like, you know, some hibachi grill master just, you know, <laughs> just having a good old time. We got all the grapes. It's all good. It's great. It's flowing with milk and honey. But, but, I know God was going to give it to us and there's fruit and we, we brought you the proof, but, the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large and mass pandemonium ensues. It's the murmuring. It's the talk. It's the what? Moses is up front at the, at the large table and he's pounding the gavel, order, order, order. But the whole town hall full of thousands of people are just like, what are we gonna do? Oh no, and they start, they start freaking out. And in the middle of that, one of those scouts, Caleb, Caleb silenced the people before Moses. Hey, 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 hey. We should go up and take possession of the land we can certainly do it. But there were 11 others. And the 10 of those scouts, the men who had gone up with him said, we can't do it, Caleb. We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. Now think about this. 400 years of slavery under the whip of Pharaoh. And yet God and his strong hand rescues them, delivers them, spanks away both sides of the Red Sea and has the Israelites walk, walk through some kind of SeaWorld amusement park ride, dry land, 
showing them a cloud by day and a fire by night, and these people are stronger? And here's what happens. That seed gets planted, and like wildfire or like weeds in your landscaping, they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. Milk and honey? Grapes that you can't carry by yourself? And all of a sudden, that bad report begins to be the only thing people can think about. Hmm. Does that sound vaguely familiar with the season we're living in right now? Isn't it amazing how fast bad news travels? And here's the truth with the Israelites. Here's the truth with Adam and Eve. And here's the truth about us. Here's the truth about 2020 right here in the timber country of East Texas. Even great people have potential to adopt wrong perceptions. All of us have the same access to media if you want it. And yet there are some people that are choosing to trust, choosing to see the opportunity. And there are others that have shrunk back hearing the reports and cannot see what God may want to do next. They've even forgotten what God had done last. I wonder if that's how we're, these are good people. Good people, good leaders, leaders of each tribe. And yet they walk in and they can only see what they really chose to see. All throughout scripture, there are great people that have the potential though to adopt wrong perception. Do you remember David and Goliath? David shows up and the entire Israelite army is scared, shaking in their armor because Goliath is every day getting up there in front of them, giving them yo mama jokes and they're not gonna face him at all. And here's the deal. The, the, the Israelites thought, oh, they had the wrong perception. He's too big to kill. David had the right perception. He's too big to miss. Even good people though have potential to have the wrong perception. The disciples are hanging around Jesus and they're tired. God, Jesus has been preaching all day long and there's a huge crowd and they're tired and they're thinking about themselves and they're not thinking about the people, but yet Jesus has compassion on the people. He's like, let's give them something to eat. And even good people, knowing that Jesus can raise the dead, knowing that Jesus can walk on water, knowing that Jesus can open blind eyes, knowing that Jesus can turn water into wine. So if he can make water into wine and these people are hungry, they have the wrong perception though and they automatically assume and they only see through the wrong lens of their own needs or their own wants or their own lack. Even great people have potential to adopt wrong perception. The leaders of Israel, these leaders of each tribe, well, write it down. Twelve scouts explored the exact same terrain. Sleeping in the same tents. Forty days is how long they went and scouted Canaan. Forty days. Twelve scouts explored the exact same terrain. Ten of those scouts focused on the obstacles when they came back. Focused on the obstacles. Two scouts focused on the opportunity. Joshua and Caleb. Now, here, here's, the, here's the paradox. Both were right. Both were right. Ten said we can't. 
Two said we can. Both were right. And it was all about where they were going to place their trust. Both of them saw obstacles. Both of them talked about the fruit. So the, all, all of them talked about the opportunity. But it was Joshua and Caleb's faith that was strengthened in the middle of the chaos that got them to have the right perspective. And I wonder if some of us, I'm telling you, fear can come in so quickly. Bad reports can take us off that, that true north of the moral compass of our life being the voice of God. And so my question for us today in this season of having to navigate the mayhem in the middle of where we are stepping into a new normal because I believe the best truly is yet to come. The question I wanna ask you is, have I offered my personal perceptions to the right person lately? Every one of you have personal opinions and personal perceptions about where you are, where we are, where the nation is, uh, uh, who ought to be the president, who ought to be the next president, uh, what we ought to do, where we ought to go, what we ought to wear, when we ought to stop, when we ought to start. Everybody's got their personal perceptions. Have you gone to the right person lately? And I wanna invite you, prayer shifts Perspective, prayer and faith shift your perceptions. But they didn't, they, they just couldn't, couldn't deal with it. They couldn't deal with it. So that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. I mean, th th this is like, ugh, it's hitting them in the feels now. This is emotion. Like they don't like what's going on. All the Israelites, all, all, all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Complaining, criticizing, grumbling, mumbling, just, ah, I don't like leadership. I don't like the way they did it. I mean, they can't, I mean, they led them out of Egypt, out of slavery. Moses goes, pulls his staff out just like that, and, the, and God just, opens the Red Sea and they're grumbling against their leadership. The whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt. I mean, we're in this wilderness. <sighs> Isn't it crazy how people like go to level 10 when things don't go right? Like they go from like one to 10 in their negativity so fast. I mean, if only we had died in or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? If only. Why? And then they go on to begin to speak their own truth. They begin to read their own fortune. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. And do you know what's crazy about these will be statements? The promises of God for Moses, that God gave to Moses to tell the Israelites before they were ever exodus, he said, give them these four promises. I'm the Lord and I will, I will bring you out from under the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. And I will take you as my people. Then you will know that I'm the Lord, your God who did all this and you couldn't do it. 400 years, you could have tried to escape. You couldn't escape until my hand was on you and I'm gonna, I will bring you out. I will redeem, I will free. That's what this church is all about. Listen, if you're dipping your toe in the water of Timber Creek Church and you'd like to know what's next or what's more, it's a big church, where do I fit in? Starting point unpacks those four promises. Every Sunday morning, 9.30 at the Lufkin and Nacogdoches location, 
We're working on an online campus experience as well. For those of you that are tra- you know, from afar online, how do we get you starting point uh, on the online campus? But that's the four weeks starting the first week of the month. We want to br- see people brought out, sa- saved, freed. That's, that's like living in the freedom that God has already paid for. Uh, redeemed, discovering purpose, and then coming as the people of God, doing what the people of God ought to do, and that's make a difference for the kingdom. And so we invite you, make sure you're becoming a part of Starting Point if you've never tried it. But this is, this is what happens when you forget that God has promises. You just automatically assume that you're God and you're gonna tell the future instead of God being the omnipotent same God yesterday, today, and forever that knows the future, that writes the future, that has a plan in a future to prosper you, not harm you, yet you take it on yourself to, to tell your own future. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt and listen, this is where people have been living when it comes to going back to pre-COVID days. That's over, everybody. It's done. There may be some feelings of normalcy that can come, like kids coming back to school, getting back into certain rhythms, but we will, we will never have a pre-9-11 America. We will never have a pre-COVID America ever again. So we can choose to just be frustrated with the abnormal or we can trust God that he has a new normal for us to walk in. And can I tell you something? When we get frustrated with what this looks like and we don't know because we're addicted to certainty and the Israelites, they didn't know what was going to happen. They were addicted to certainty. They wanted to be for certain what could happen and they were uncertain, but yet God was a clear God. What tends to happen is we are okay with less than more. And God wants to give us more, not less. He'll give you more even when you have less. He's always the God of something new, a, a new creation, a new heart, a new life, a transformed life. And the truth is, just like the Egyptians, just like the Egyptians, getting back to normal would mean going back to nominal. And what does that mean? When you pay a nominal price for something, you paid far under the actual value. And I just wonder that some of us who are so addicted to wanting to get back to normal that really your normal was very nominal. You were living far under the value that you could be living. The, the life you, you could live, the, the life that God has designed you to live. And just getting back to normal would mean not, a, not, not getting back to a routine, but getting back to a rut. Not getting back to safety, getting back to slavery. They thought it was safety. It wasn't safety, it was slavery. Getting back to normal could mean going back to nominal. Nobody wants to, that's not God's plan. And yet that's what the Israelites were thinking because they were so driven by certainty and that lack of certainty created chaos in their life. And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. I mean, they were ready to get rid of Moses and Aaron. Do you know what anxiety is? They were anxious. You know what anxiety is? I heard a pastor, Tim Keller, say it this way. Anxiety is fear that has made a home in your heart. It's okay to be afraid. You're gonna have fear. That's an emotion. But fear becomes anxiety and it drives you. And when fear has a home in your heart and it stays there, that is no place 
You are, you are not called to, to add a bedroom in your heart for fear to live there. And what happens is when we're fearful, when we're fearful, do you know what, you know what takes place? Fear has the power to open a door to rebellion. If ever there was a time where people are being driven by fear, it's, it's now. And what can happen is there's one thing to be afraid and then cast your care on him for he cares for you. Don't take that spirit of fear, but understand the power and the love and, a, and the self-discipline that God gives us. But when you live in that fear and it builds anxiety and fear makes a home in your heart, do you know that it inadvertently opens a door way beyond being afraid and you actually start creating a heart of rebellion? It was their fear that led them to begin to rebel against leadership, to rebel against spiritual leadership that God had placed in their lives to rebel against divine leadership of God's hand showing them they just wanted to, re to rebel. Fear can cause rebellion. I'm afraid of what I might give up. I'm afraid of what I might miss out. So the teenager rebels against the parents and goes where they said, don't go. Fear, uh, uh, the fear of, of missing out on the way I just want to feel and, and that just so, that's so attractive to me that I rebel against the vows that I made to my wife. Do you see how that can happen? Fear can open a door to rebellion. And Joshua and Caleb are here as the leaders who saw the opportunity, who were putting their faith in God. They were allowing their faith to push down their fear. Did they have fear too? Sure, sure. But, but, but they were letting the, the, the faith overcome that fear. And Joshua and Caleb, who were among those who had explored the land, they tore their clothes. What, what, what is that? What, what is that? that that's basically uh, an ancient way of wearing black to a funeral. Um, it, 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 it was... There wasn't like a local Old Navy where you could get 17 t-shirts for $17, right? You, 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 had to, you had to make your clothes. They were a commodity. And when you ripped your clothes, it was showing this grief, this, this, this wound, this emotion, like, like dressing up in black at a, at a funeral. They tore their clothes and they said to the entire, entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. It's exceedingly good. They, they saw the giants too because they saw the same terrain. They saw the craziness too, but they saw the exceedingly good. God wants to focus your eyes, not on things here, but on things above. Let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God has a bigger story than the story we see. He sees more, he knows more. He, you can trust him uh, with, with a bigger picture. He's got it under control. And, and Joshua says, look, 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 guys, listen, everybody. If the Lord is pleased with us, now catalog this because I'm going to come back to this in a minute. We're going to wrap up with this idea. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only, only do not rebel against the Lord. And when you want to take matters into your own hands, when you want to focus on the disappointment instead of the opportunity, you're taking matters into your own hands. And that is, that is a form of rebellion to God. Don't rebel against the Lord. And do you know what the Israelites said? They said, okay, okay, Joshua. <laughs> you know how I can be sometimes. 
No. The whole assembly talked about stoning them. I don't want to hear what you have to say. Kill them. Is that not the culture we're living in right now? A different perspective? Instead of even having the willingness to listen to one another, whether we agree or not, that we would rather maybe with sticks and stones break their bones, but we certainly with our words are hurting people. The whole assembly talk about stoning them. I and mean, that is, we're crazy up in arms. Churches up in arms against other churches. Christians up in arms against other Christians. Friends up in arms against other friends. What? Because of the crazy pandemonium and the fear that we continue to live in because we are not certain about what tomorrow might bring and we don't know if we're gonna be okay with a new normal. And so the Lord said to Moses, the Lord gets involved now. The Lord said, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? Pause, stop, wait a second, hang on. The Lord says, these Israelites are grumbling against me. But when you go back to Numbers 14, verse 2, all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Huh? They, they weren't praying. They weren't saying, God, we're grumbling at you. Mm -mm. Here's what the book of James says. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. And out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. And what God is saying, when you raise your mouth and grumble against my creation, it's like you're grumbling against the creator. When, when, when you are rude to people, it's like you're being rude to me. The other is true. When you give someone who's thirsty something to drink, it's like you've done it unto me. So when you're a jerk to someone, it's like you're being a jerk to God because they are made in his image, everybody. And do you know what happens? My grumbling can pause the blessings of God. Your attitude can actually pause. It can keep you on the border between where you are and the promised land of what God has for you next because you just are getting cranky and you can't stop it. You can't help it. You think you're gonna feel better by getting the last word in edgewise and yet it is grumbling and you're not just grumbling against that person or this person or your situation or your experience at that place or with that, with that company. When you grumble, you actually can pause the blessings of God in your life. And that's exactly what happened to the Israelites. God said, okay, okay. I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. I will do, see, initially I will bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you. I will take you as my people. And those are the promises and he's gonna be true to his promises. But in the mayhem in the middle, to teach them a lesson, to show them a truth that they couldn't learn any other way, apparently. I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. See, I was gonna bring you out, free you, redeem you, and take you as my people. But you don't, you don't believe me. You're, you're not trusting me. So, so here's the deal. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home except Caleb and Joshua. Because they, 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 they know me. And I, I thought you would know me by now. 
if you don't know me by now. Moving on. <laughs> they didn't know him. They didn't trust him. And as for your children, you said, I didn't say this, you said would be taken as plunder. I will bring them in. See, just because, just because you don't get it right, this is good news and bad news. It's bad news for the person who doesn't get it right. <laughs> you know. Um, good news is, even though your parents, maybe you didn't grow up the way that you wish you would have, it don't matter the way your parents sin. That's not on you. You don't have to carry that. Part of what we do in Encounter on Sunday nights, one of our groups, is we figure out how to take off uh, these hand-me-downs that we, that we wear. We wear these hand-me-downs of attitudes and actions and emotions from our parents or someone who spoke something over us. And those, there's power in those words. And we figure out how to say, okay, God, no, you want to clothe me in righteousness, not clothe me in those rags of hand-me-downs. But he says, if you're your children, I'm going to bring them into, into, to enjoy the land that you have rejected. And as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. The scouts were out in Canaan for 40 days and God's discipline for every day you scouted and saw the goodness but only could see the bad. For 40 days, I'm gonna add a year to your wondering. And so the Israelites, they were normal slaves in Egypt. The new normal was a promised land and they were right on the edge. But God said, I, you're not ready, you're not ready. And so he places them in a holding pattern for 40 years, one year for every day they scouted the land, 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years they lived in the abnormal. 40 years they had to relearn, we're gonna trust in God. And so every day God would give them manna. He would give them their food, but they would not enjoy grapes. They would not enjoy those kind of, they barely survive just on that, on that bread. And God is showing them, I'm, I'm the bread. I'm the bread. Jesus will later say, I fed 5,000. It's not about the bread. I fed the 5,000. I'm the bread of life. And 40 years, they stayed in the wilderness. Whoa, they were so close, so close, yet so far away. Where did they go wrong? Where did they go wrong? Well, let's go back. The people living there, they said, are powerful and stronger than we are. They looked like giants to us. And in our own eyes, we felt as small as grasshoppers next to them. In their own eyes. I am not enough. I am not big enough. I am not strong enough. I, in our, we can't do this. We can't succeed. We can't get together. They have fortified cities. We've got tents in a wilderness. We don't have a city to go back to retreat to if things go sour. We don't know what to do. Like, we can't, I am not enough. And I want to tell you, everything's off. Everything in your life will be off. When I see through the lens of the wrong, I am. Moses, who delivered them out of Egypt by the hand of God, years earlier, God would come to him and say, 
I'm going to equip you with the leadership tools to lead them to a promised land. And Moses said, but who are you? What name do you have? You say, you tell them, my name is I am. And it's one of the biggest lessons we have to learn, everybody. No matter whether you were wishing we were in the normal, yet it was nominal, whether you're in the middle of the wilderness and the abnormal, or you're walking into the new normal, it's never really about who I am. It's who he is. God wants to show us you've got to rely on me even when things seem big, even though you feel weak, even though your own self-perception is like a grasshopper. I actually have made you more than conquerors. You're actually made in the image of an almighty creator of the cosmos, God. And that's how you see yourself? As grasshoppers? You're a child of the king. And so you and me, we, we deal with this normal and abnormal and new normal. And you and I, just like the Israelites, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. We may not be slaves to Egypt. But you and I are normal. Because of that broken world, we're slaves to sin. That's our, that's, that's our normal, slaves to sin. And many times when the going gets tough, we tend to revert. We tend to say, oh, I should just go back to my old way of living. But do you know what? Jesus invades the space in our abnormal. He goes in and even though we rejected God's vision, God keeps his vision true, <laughs> and I like to say he sends the ultimate scout from heaven to earth to check out the land and show us how to live. And Jesus shows up, and he lives a perfect life, and he pays for our sin. Why? So our new normal could just be nominal? No, 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 no. So you and I could live a transformed life. So we could live a... We could live a life that's like we're a new creation. The new has come. The old has, has gone. How do we get there? How, how do we get from slaves to sin? How do we get to Jesus? For a long time, we've been doing it the same way the Israelites tried to do it. As a matter of fact, Joshua, whose name in Hebrew is Yeshua. So when you say Jesus, just understand that the English name for Jesus is Joshua. You can see that Joshua ultimately, and we'll talk about this next week, Joshua will be the leader that takes them into the promised land. I'm telling you, Jesus is the one that's going to take you into the promised land. You're not Joshua. You're you're the Israelites that don't know what to do. And Joshua is saying, come on. Jesus is saying, come on, follow me. But look at the words of what Joshua said. Do you remember what he said? He said, guys, 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 guys. To the Israelites, he says, if the Lord is pleased with us, he'll lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us, but do not rebel against the Lord. And do you know what they did? They rebelled. And God was not pleased. But a few hundred years later, God is going to give us yet another promise of a new way of life, a transformed life. Through the prophet Isaiah, several hundred years later, God will speak and Isaiah will write the words of God. And God will say a few hundred years later, see, I am going to do a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? See, the Israelites, they couldn't perceive the good thing God wanted to do. Their perception only saw the negative. He says, perceive the good thing, the new thing. I am 
making a way in the where? The wilderness. Everybody, where in the where? Yeah. (laughs) And sure enough, the scout, the son of the living God from heaven comes to earth, grows up anonymous, lives a perfect, sinless life. And right before he goes into ministry, right before he goes into ministry, he goes to the Jordan River, the same river that those Israelites would eventually cross over and claim that new land. And Jesus goes to that Jordan River and he sees his relative, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist baptizes. And you know what baptism represents? Dying to the old, receiving the new. (laughs) And isn't it crazy? Joshua said, if the Lord will be pleased with us, he'll give us stuff. Don't rebel against him. And when Jesus comes out of that Jordan River that that the Israelites weren't willing to cross for fear, the clouds open up. And God the Father Do you know what he says? (laughs) A voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And do you know the very next thing Jesus does? Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness. So instead of you having to eke out an existence in the abnormal wilderness years, because you you can't please God with just you. So God is pleased with his son. And when you receive Jesus, he covers you. And when God sees you, he's pleased with you, not because of what you could do, but because who you are in his son. And because of that, he is pleased with you. And even though our tendency is to still rebel, 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 Jesus goes into the wilderness and he is perfect. So that when you don't do it right, you lean on the grace of a perfect God. That That may sound too good to be true that even in your flaws, God would do something wonderful to cleanse you and start you fresh. But to him, that's not just like, starting you fresh or giving you a second chance. Life in him, the transformed life that trusts in him, that says, that that, that has fear, but doesn't let fear have a home in our heart, that says, Jesus, you in me is greater than any enemy around me. And Jesus, you own the land. I just take possession of the land. And Jesus, you go before us like a Joshua. And God, because of who you are and because of what you've done, I can be courageous. I can be victorious because the battle isn't mine. The battle is yours and the victory is ours. And so God, instead of being scared of the new normal because we're trying to live in our own perceptions of our own weaknesses and our insecurities, God, in the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ, who God, goes through the wilderness, who is tempted and yet doesn't sin. We lean into you. You are greater. You are stronger. You take down the enemy. You've defeated the giant of sin in my life. And because of that, I can put all my trust in you. And Jesus would say to you and me, everybody, listen close, lean in. He would say, that's not anything strange. 
That's been my plan since the foundations of the earth. That, to me, is your new normal. Would you close your eyes with me at all locations? Just for a few moments, can you consider what he's done for you? Can you see the beauty of Jesus and his love? You can trust him because of the cross. You can trust in his promises because of the cross. He died for you. You can trust in his power because he resurrected after he died. You can take his word to the bank. And if you're here and you've not put your trust in Jesus, it's time. It's time. Stop putting your trust and your heart and your emotions and your fear in the next news cycle. I got good news. It's called the gospel. Jesus lives and he reigns and he's enough. Maybe you're here today and you need to say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I surrender to you. Be the Lord of my life today. Thank you for not being mad at me and not casting me out into the wilderness, but thank you that you placed all your wrath on Jesus and paid for my sin through him. And now I get access to you and I get your promises and I want to step into that, Jesus. For those of you that are struggling, you're feeling the abnormal of life, let me pray over you, Father, wherever they are. Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe it's a wound. Maybe it's not knowing what's next and they're fearful. Oh, God, you have not given us that spirit of fear. But your power, your love, and I pray that you would transform them by the renewing of the way they think. We're not going to look at the obstacles. They're there. We can see them. We don't have to ignore them. But we see you and your strength and your omniscience and your omnipotence. Where else can we run to but you? You are a strong tower. And when we're with you and we're in you, we are safe. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, the strong son of God, we pray. Everybody said amen.